Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Addison Bevere, who is the COO of Messenger International, co-founder of Sons and Daughters TV, and an author. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondyk, and thank you so much for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener, you are in for a treat today in my conversation with Addison Bevere. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. It's great to see you again. In this conversation, I speak with Addison, who is fresh off, or will be, uh, his new release Saints Becoming More Than Christians, which will be available on January 21st, but is now available for pre-order. And I'm really excited in this conversation because we discuss uh, what it means to be a saint um, and the fact that we all are saints. It's profoundly human and it's something that we can become more of, uh, more than Christian, um, as he puts it in his title. Um, we discuss more on the origins of the book, how it got started, um, a really funny story um, of kind of some, some things that he's been hearing, um, and one of them was on a plane, and how that prompted him to, uh, to write a book. Um, we discuss the good life, what is integral to the good, good life, uh, what our notions are and where they might align or disalign. Um, we discuss a few themes in his book as well um, and a whole, whole lot more. Uh, I'm really excited for this conversation with Addison um, and, and know that you're going to enjoy it. And, and uh, before we hop in, I want to let you know where you can get a copy. It's really exciting. It's available on January 21st, um, but you can pre-order it now. And when you pre-order, you also get a free audiobook as well, a free audiobook. Um, it comes with Saint Study, uh, chapter artwork, um, and then you can enter in for a video chat as well. Um, that can be found at saintbook.co or addisonbevere.com. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Addison Bevere. Addison, thanks so much for joining me in the Guys Like Us podcast. Tyler, it's such an honor to be here. Thanks for having me on. My joy. Um, so I know that the the, uh, the book's coming out in January, um, but I know yeah. you've, you've you've spent some a good deal of time writing it and um, you know in the editing process, and I've had the chance to to read read it myself, and it's it's very well written and articulate, and uh, I know that it's going to be a, a blessing for a lot of readers. Can you tell me a bit more of um, kind of the origin and how this uh, how this first first kind of got off the ground? Yeah, absolutely. So, my pretty much my whole adult life, I have not liked the identifier of Christian, and it's. I know this is going to sound terrible, but it's not. It's not that I have a problem with Jesus. I, in fact, I'm rather fond of Jesus. I, I believe he's the one human who got this whole humanity thing right. But I, I haven't liked being associated with all the labels and stereotypes that have attached themselves to this idea of being a cultural Christian. Yeah. And it was, it was years ago. I was on a plane with, with this woman and I'm really to myself on planes. Like I'm introverted. I don't talk. Um, I, I swore the entire time. Uh, but it, you know, it is rude to not acknowledge the existence of the person sitting four inches away from you. So I, I did that. 
and it just opened the gateway and she would not stop talking to me. And so she talked and talked and talked and talked and began opening up about all sorts of stuff. And then she she crossed into one of the areas that you know you're not supposed to cross into religion, politics, like those are <laughs> things you're not really supposed to talk about with strangers. Yeah. And she went there and she she looked at me and she said, So what what kind of religious practice do you follow? And I just remember squirming in my seat because I knew based on things that she had already shared with me, specifically a lot of things that she had shared with me, that she was not fond of Christians. And, and I remember just sitting there being like, what do I say to this lady? Because if I tell her I'm a Christian, it's like immediate walls going up. Um, I, I would have had some peace and quiet. But um, at that point, I was like, yeah, I, I had a connection with her. And I could tell that God had put me in her life for a reason. And I remember wrestling with that tension. And that's that's something I've heard from a lot of my friends. I'm a millennial. Hmm. Um, I'm, in my, I'm in my mid-30s. A lot of millennials, they, they struggle with this identifier of Christian. And so, all right, so there's that scenario. And that's happened to me many times, mm-hmm. often on planes. And then a few years ago, I was reading this book. And it wasn't about saints. But it was about halfway through the book, and the author made a comment about saints. And he described saints in a way that I had never heard before. He described them as people who practice and participate in the mystery of the final day. And I just remember reading that and then stopping and being like, what in the world does that mean? Like, what does that mean to practice and participate in the mystery of the final day? And I dove into that question. And honestly, like, the book is what came out of the answer to that question. Mm. So that was my journey. Wow. That, well, thanks. Thanks for the story. And I, I, I resonate with um, uh, your your initial just kind of of maybe how how Christians, you know, that how that label has kind of been uh, has been used or overused. Um, and especially I, I know the, the climate that you're in and we were talking before the podcast, uh, you're in Colorado and I'm in Boston two areas that are, you know, it's, the question isn't what church you go to, it's, oh, do you, oh, you go to church or in, in right. kind of, in kind <laughs> like, of, a, oh, you go to church, that's different. Yeah, right. So like, you haven't, you haven't come into the 21st century. What's going on? Right <laughs> like, aren't you aware this is a post-Christian world? Right. Why are you still doing that? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So just different, different types of questions that people ask you. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, you, you, it, it kind of, calls you to, to think back of, um, of to some important words and what they, the, the meaning and the connotation behind them and kind of uh, maybe seeing how it's been, you know, misused or maybe, uh, or kind of looking back to the source and back to the text of how it is used. Um, and, and I know from, you know, looking at, uh, obviously reading through scripture, saint does appear uh, numerous times, a lot, a lot more than the word Christian. Can you, te- can you kind of tell me about, you know, some of the, the, what, what the word tends to mean, or if there's a lot of different meanings in scripture. Yeah, absolutely. So to your point, like language is everything. When, when I say a word, it immediately evokes a response. And, and so this, this idea of cultural Christianity, unfortunately, the, the response that it evokes from people is often hypocrite, hypocrisy, um, criticality, you know, the, the kind of things that we don't want to be known for as followers of Christ. Mm. But if you look at the New Testament, this is fascinating to me. If you look at the New Testament, the word Christian is only used three times. That's it, three times. Twice in Acts, once mm. in First Peter. Mm. But the word saint, which is hagios in the Greek, is used over 60 times. Used over 60 times. Yeah. And, and and so I, I asked myself, like, why? Why was this word the identity 
of the early church when these early followers of Christ were turning the world upside down. I mean, they were breaking down every division that separated people based on ethnicity, socioeconomic position, um, cultural differences, like all of those things were being deconstructed Mm -hmm. because people were aligning with this idea of being a saint. This idea of following Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we, when we think of saint, at least this is what I thought of when I thought of a saint. I thought of dead people. Mm-hmm. I thought of people in stained glass windows. Yeah. I thought of people with halo on their heads. I thought it was a prefix that you put in front of someone's name if they lived a good life and then died like St. Paul, St. Mary, St. Peter. But when you study this word in Scripture, what you find is it's actually an identity that energizes the present. It has nothing to do with death. It has everything to do with life. And so saints are people. They capture a vision of God's intentions for our world. And they bring that vision into their everyday lives. They contextualize it. And they merge those worlds of what is and what will be by partnering with the Spirit of God. And so when we when we think of a saint, we think of someone who's dead. But when you look at how Paul, who, and Paul was the one who primarily used it, how Paul mm-hmm. used it, it was very much... You are a saint now, and this is what that means for your life. So it was a present, um, it had present significance, and because it was relevant to who they were today, it required a demonstration of of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Mm Yeah, and and it is interesting how it's found um, a a lot in the the in Paul's epistles and 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 letters rather. and just kind of of who he was writing to, writing to people who are Greek, um, and uh, seeing the the significance of kind of practicing what you pre- you preach, or kind of walking, you know, walking the walk, um, and kind of understanding the the journey and, and what it means to follow to follow Christ. Um, can you? I, I don't. Can I? Can I? Can yeah. I get on something though, real yeah. quick, because you, I don't, I don't know if you realized how profound what you said is. So you made the point of. Who, who Paul's audience was, okay? So that's yeah. everything. If, if you look at the book of Acts, we find in the first chapter, we find Jesus, he, he, you know, he, he resur- he's resurrected from the, from the grave. And then he, he comes onto the scene and he does one thing. He preaches the kingdom of God, that's it. Yep. And his disciples, they turn around and they're like, so hey, when are you gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they're like, when are you going to do what we expected you to do? When are you going to make Mm. this about us, our comfort zones, our ethnicity? And he's like, no, that's not what this is about. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And he's like, okay, Jerusalem, that's familiar. That's comfort zone. Judea, Mm -hmm. that's still kind of your comfort zone. He's like, Samaria Mm -hmm. and the ends of the world, those are the marginalized. Those are the people who don't belong. Those are the people that are found without. And then you study the book of Acts, and it is detention of the early church not really understanding this mandate that requires them to reach into every single space and impact every single person, regardless of their culture, regardless of their sex, regardless of where they've been. And then in Acts 10, there's this profound moment where Peter has this vision three times, and essentially it's all these profane and common things coming down from heaven, and God tells Peter, what I have called holy, don't call profane. What I have mm-hmm. called uncommon, don't call common. And then Peter is sent to Cornelius, a Gentile. And then Paul, or, and then Peter experiences something he's never experienced before. He's basically telling, like, look, I really shouldn't be here because I'm a Jew and you're a Gentile. But and I'm going to share this message mm-hmm. with you. And God's spirit falls on them before he can even mm-hmm. baptize them. And otherwise, in other words, God's like, look, 
this is for the Gentiles too. And I'm going to do something radical. I'm going to do something I've never done before to show you that that's the case. And if you look at Paul's letters, he's writing to the Gentiles. That's why he's saying to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Colossae, to the saints in Philippi. He's saying that because these people, they didn't really believe that they belonged. And he was reminding them, no, you are God's holy ones. And then in his letters, he would give these beautiful pictures and ideas of what it means, like their salvation, what it means to be a part of the covenant family of God. And then he would go into, okay, now, practically, this is what it looks like for you to do that in Corinth. This is what it looks like for you to do that in Ephesus. And I think we as a church today, we fall back into that same pattern of wanting to stick to our comfort zones wanting to stick to with those things that are familiar. And the gospel message requires us to go out into the marginalized, to the broken, to the lost, to the sick, and say, actually, you are a saint. You are holy. And because you are holy, because you are set apart, because there's no division between the sacred and the, sacred and the mm-hmm. secular, like your life matters and has significance. Right, right, and, and saints is accessible for all for all uh, all believers, all all followers of Christ, and it's not it's not some limited um, you know people or uh, it's not some it's not you know it's not again yeah it's just it's not finite and limited to a certain amount of people, but everyone can follow and and enter into this you know into this uh, I guess this process of, of sainthood. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's one of the it's one of those things where it's like, look, this is who you are. Now become this person, and that's yeah. how God works. Yeah. Like God speaks to those things not as they are, but as they could be and as they should be, and then He merges those two worlds. Like, it's like only God works like that. It's so cool. And so what yeah. He's saying is saying, look, your life is holy, and it used to be like this idea of holiness. It was relegated to like the temple, and yeah. that was the intersection yeah. of heaven and earth. But the big idea, and mm. Paul brings this out in 1 Corinthians 3, is like you are God's temple. As followers of Jesus, you are God's temple. So everything that you do, everything that you lay your hands to is holy because you are now that intersection between heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. And as a, as, a, as a church, as Christianity, I think we've done a terrible job creating this barrier between the secular and the sacred. Mm-hmm. And this really goes back to the Enlightenment where uh, you know this this idea came on the scene essentially like we don't really need god we have progress and the church said okay we're going to keep our <clears throat> sacred stuff we're going to keep our church buildings our bible studies our prayer groups and then we're going to call all of these things the arts science business economics we're going to call these things secular and this has created a rift and what happens now is we have all these people in in christendom who don't really see how their lives have value because they're not in quote unquote full-time ministry. Like I hate, I hate that term. I hate the term full-time ministry, Mm. part-time ministry. I hate those terms because Mm. the reality is Ephesians 4 says that the church, the fivefold ministry's job is to support the saints for the work of the ministry. So the job of the church is to support the saints to go into their everyday lives, the mundane, Mm. the normal parts of their lives and to be ambassadors of hope, to be ambassadors of life, to merge the worlds of what is and what will be revealing heaven through their everyday lives. Like that's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And we've limited to a religious practice of going to church on Sunday. Yeah. And that's, that's tragic. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's very pr- profound as well. And I, I think you, you hit on a really important part of, I, I, I would agree that the enlightenment bl- brought, um, 
the I think the idea of progress uh, in terms of maybe it's scientific innovation, um, maybe it's uh, this this radical freedom um, and, and just this overall liberalism that that can kind of essentially you know the thought was that it would be freeing. Um, and I think, and I, I, I say that because in, in your first chapter on the good life, um, you talk about this, this, this kind this obedience and, and this, this, I think this, this wrestling that we all face of, um, of, you know, I, I, I can't give up something or I, I don't want to kind of, uh, allow myself to kind of die to, to, to let Christ live in me. And I think it's that our idea is that it won't, there will be no freedom in that and that that will be, that's so limiting. Um, and I think, I mean, for myself and I'm sure for a lot of other people, that is, that's a real tension and a real pain. Um, but I've noticed is the amount of freedom that you're able to find in obedience it is just, it's mind blowing of how that, of how that works. Can you talk a little bit more about that first chapter of, and maybe, you know, our conceptions of the good life and what we need to, uh, to first understand and in, 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 in effort to break those maybe notions down. Yeah, sure. So if you look at our world, we're essentially chasing the good life. And I'm talking within the church and outside of the church both. Yeah. We're essentially chasing this idea of the good life at the, at the altars of sex, stuff, and status. Mm. Those three things. And we think that if, if we win in those three areas, we're going to experience the good life. But the reality is we're, we're much deeper beings. Um, it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that eternity was written, off, written on our hearts. So there's an expansiveness deep inside of us that honestly drives us crazy. That's why we're constantly innovating and progressing and looking because we're, we're chasing a glory. We're chasing something more than what we've seen. And that's why like, all of these... Um, I mean, I don't want to be rude because some of them have like really great ideas. Like if you look yeah. at best-selling books, you will find the term "the good life" in so many of the books. Yeah. Um, you will find these yeah. promises of the good life in podcasts and YouTube channels and stuff like that. And it's because people are are monetizing; they're taking advantage of the fact that all of us have this innate desire to find mm. the good life. But then Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, "So." Y'all have been looking for the good life in the typical places, and you have found yourself spent. You have found yourself lacking. I want to reframe the good life for you, and I want to offer a new road that's very paradoxical that tells you can only find life by laying your life down and and whatever that will require of you. And I, and I, I tell the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus mm. essentially looking for life. And, and Jesus, and I mean, I'll, I'll recap quickly. And Jesus looks at him and says, you know what? You're really lacking. Why don't, why don't you go sell everything that you have and come follow me? And, and when, when we hear that story, we think to ourselves, well, you know, it's possessions that keep us from following Jesus. No, that's, that's really not the case. I mean, Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus. He was a very rich man. And because of his wealth, he was able to get an audience with Pilate and get Jesus's body. So Jesus had followers that had money. The big idea was follow him. So it means whatever he asks you to do, whatever act of obedience that looks like, he's like, you're actually going to find the good life by obeying me, by following me into this place called life, because you don't know how to get there. You don't have 
everything that you need to discover something that's beyond you. It's beyond anything that you can articulate. You've seen it in glimpses, you've seen it in parts, but to go there, you're gonna have to rely on me. You're gonna have to rely on something that's bigger than you. And that's that's the big idea of the good life. Like we're all looking for that if we're honest. And and if you study scripture, it's like right there. Like this is where you find it. When you boil it all down, what we really want is we want value, we want meaning, we want purpose. We want community. Like these are the things that make life good. Those are the like those are the basic human needs that we have. And when we lay down our lives in this pursuit of Jesus and what He has for us, we find all of those things reinvigorated. Wow, awesome. And um, yeah, I, I I don't want to spend too too much time in uh, in in your book and just kind of the the nitty gritty. But th- there is one uh, area that I want to touch on because uh, I know what you spent at least two chapters, uh, with the word kind of in the, in the, in, in, in the, um, header of of the title chapter and that's fear and kind of what that, what fear can do to, to take away from, um, our, our saintliness or, uh, can, can, can bring us away. Can you elaborate a bit more on what you mean by fear? Yeah, no, absolutely. So first of all, I want to, I want to hit on something about being a saint. So a saint is to become profoundly human. So this idea of being a saint, it's about finding meaning in the mundane. So it's about our everyday lives and and what is meaningful in our everyday lives. It's relationship. That's when you really boil it down. When you look at the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God advances at the intersection of relationship. So if we're going to be saints, we're going to have to see relationships different. We're going to have to see the significance of today. And the end of our souls, he's brilliant. He tries to get us to live in the past or the future. Because we really can't live in the past or the future. So what he does, he, he deceives us. And he says, no, meaning was in the past or it will be in the future. Throw away today. Just throw it away. Today doesn't matter. And saints are people who have a profound awareness that today matters, that their opportunities today matters, mm-hmm. that what's before them today matters. And and so this this idea of fear, you know, it's it's a really interesting idea. We, we, we have a mm-hmm. view of fear like all fear is bad. But there's a, there's a fascinating verse. It's Exodus 20, 20. It's, a, it's God coming down. He's coming to meet with his people. This is supposed to be an intimate moment. And he tells them, <laughs> do not fear. I've come to test you to see if my fear is in you. And it's like, what? wait, what? Do yeah. not fear. I've come to test you to see if my fear is in you. Like, what? Yeah. what? Like, which one is it? Are we supposed to fear you or are we supposed to not fear you? Yeah. And and there's, there's different types of fear. The fear of the mm-hmm. Lord, which mm-hmm. is this, 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 awe, this holy awe of who he is that's, that is fed from this place of intimacy with him is a good fear. It's the beginning of all wisdom, as scripture, as scripture says. But then there's, then there's other fear, and it's a fear rooted in self-preservation. It's a fear rooted in this, in this idea of judgment that keeps us from running to the Father's heart. And I make the point in, um, in the book that mm. the word intimacy comes from the Latin intimir, which is into fear in Latin. So we're terrified of this idea of intimacy. And I don't, I don't know if you've seen this in your relationships. I mean, one of the scariest things to do is to let yourself out, to let someone else in. And mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. starts with God. Like if we don't get God, if we don't understand who God is and how he works in our lives, we live very small and we constrict our lives and we do not engage in intimate relationships with the people in our world. We don't understand the meaning and the purpose of intimacy. Mm-hmm. So I make the point in chapter five that intimacy is the great dive 
into fear. It's to face off with the fear that, that terrifies us the most, mm-hmm. which is being known as we are truly known. And I did something in the book. I have illustrations that are with each chapter. And mm-hmm. for this chapter, I did an illustration of a dragon because mm-hmm. the dragon represents the thing that we're most terrified of confronting. And of course, you know, I, I break it down a lot more in the book, but that's, that's the big idea. Fear, yeah, just this this overarching fear and just chaos that can um, that can 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 have the opportunity to, to tear us away. But um, and I, I think you you hit on a, a really good point too of this this healthy fear, and I I think it it comes from this reverence or just this understanding of the the bigness of God um, or just the largeness of God, and and I, I know oftentimes we can you know sometimes put ourselves up at that type of um, that type of level, but what you're, what you're, what you're saying, and if I'm, if I'm understanding it correctly is, is to be more profoundly human. Can you kind of talk about that dynamic and, and how you, and how you think through that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, our, our greatest tendency as humans is to worship ourselves. I mean, it just is. Yeah. When you study human history, like that's, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> Even if you look at all of, you know, pretty much all of the major religions, it's it's this idea of, of worshiping ourselves in some form. Like even if we worship the sun or we worship a creature, we're essentially worshiping our perception of the sun or that creature. And and so I, I, I make the point that we can't allow God to be the personification of what we like best about ourselves. It's almost like mm. God created us in his image and now we return the favor. And so yeah. we've made a God who's very comfortable a God who's basically a reflection of us. And then we wonder why this God is incapable of making us something more than what we are. We wonder, like, why is there no power in this gospel message? Well, it's because this gospel message is really just a reflection of your limited idea of God. You're not leaning into the otherness of God. I mean, that's really what the word holy means. It means this, this other thing that cannot be described, but it can be known intimately and profoundly if we yield. And that's why God says he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. He gives us grace to understand who he is and know his ways. So mm-hmm. I, I, there's an old quote that says, we should fear worship without astonishment. And this, this type of fear that I'm talking about, it's not the fear that keeps us away from God. It's the fear that makes us run to him. Mm-hmm. It's the fear. It's this, this awe, as you said, it's a reverence because he is so good. He is so wonderful. He mm-hmm. is so majestic. And when we get that, when we start to see it, we start to recognize the ramifications of who he is and what he has spoken over us. And we see that in our world. And we're like, wow, you call us sons and daughters. You, you say in 1 John 3 that, that your sperma in the Greek, that your life is in us. You say in 2 Peter 1 that we are partakers of your mm-hmm. divine nature. Then it's not like we're not trying to create this systematic system to control God. Right. We're saying, no, God, we want to lean into the otherness. We want to lean into the tension. We want to be found in the beauty of who you are. Mm. Awesome. And I think, honestly, Tyler, I think that's why a lot of people are leaving, quote unquote, religion. Like we see this rise of the nuns, people with yeah. no religious affiliation, but they're like spiritually aware. A lot of people are leaving Christianity because we have reduced God to systems and formulas. We've manipulated him. We've defined him so we can confine him. We've we've used religion as a way to control people. We haven't used it as a springboard to know the beauty and wonder and mystery of the life that emanates from God. And I think that's why a lot of people are walking out of our doors. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. 
and I, there's this um, in in an NT Wright's book, Surprised by Hope. He um, he he shares this illustration, and I think I just think it's really profound and 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 insightful for just our conversation. And I'm not gonna hit it uh, on on the head, but it's around the lines of um, we are uh, we're carpenters and we're and we're creating something um, outside of this you know outside of this cathedral outside of this um, this 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 kind of this magnificent looking, uh, you know, uh, piece of art really. And we are, um, and we are, um, shaping, shaping, uh, items that are going to be put into, into this, you know, into this big, this big cathedral. Um, and, and but we're not really sure where, it, where it's all going to go, but we know that it's going to be put to good use and that our, um, how we are using our, really our our talents and our treasure now is going to be put to something greater and and at the end of the day obviously it's not going to be uh our our own efforts but it but it is god who ultimately transform and makes all things new and i just i think that was that was really interesting um because it it, it inspi- this illustration because it insp- it just it shows this kind of this inspiration it illuminates this mystery and i think it just gives us this this picture of um, of what is now and what is to come. Yeah, I, I love N.C. Wright. He's one of my favorite authors. And, and I, I never read that book, and I love yeah. it. And there's another point that he makes where he says, we don't build the kingdom, we build for the kingdom. Yeah. And to your point, yeah. like, we don't necessarily know how all this is going to fit together, but we do know that the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And we do know that what we do now matters. And that's why the yeah. enemy of our soul, he wants to convince us that our lives right now do not matter. This escapism mentality basically takes all the meaning, like this idea of, I just need to get through life and one day I'm gonna go to heaven and everything's gonna be good. Like it takes meaning out of life now. It takes purpose out of life now. And God said, no, 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 I'm calling you my co-laborers, my ambassador, my saints, the people who merge heaven and earth. That is what it means to be a child of God. That is where you will find the purpose that your heart craves. And if you look at mm. Hebrews 11, I call it the Hall of Saints. Mm. You find these men and women who disrupted our world. And it, it describes them in verse 38 as people um, who the world was not worthy of. But because the world was unworthy of them, they were exactly what the world needed. They were catalytic. They could they could see things differently. And because they could see things differently, they made changes they did things differently and when you look mm-hmm. at that list of people they came from all different types of 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 like of occupations and types of life like that's what we're all called to do i mean this this practically this is how we parent our children this is how we do marriage this is how we work day in and day out like mm. all of this is purposeful all of this is meaningful and and i want people to see their life as meaningful, as valuable, mm. as, as, as significant, because that's what it is to be a saint. Mm, mm. And there's just a, a, few, a few more things before we wrap up. Um, can you elaborate on the, on the difference between um, uh, conversion and salvation? Because I think this, what we're, we were just talking about of, uh, and I think this, this greatly impacts how we, how we think about these, these two terms that I think often um, might not get dis- distinguished properly. Yeah, absolutely. So conversion, that's that moment when you when you give your life to Christ. You're like, look, I'm surrendering my life to Christ. And we've often made that that moment of conversion synonymous with salvation. Mm. 
But the reality is like conversion, that is, that's the starting line. That's where it begins. But then we spend the rest of our lives discovering the fullness of salvation. I love what we find in James 1.21. James right, receives with meekness the implanted word, which has the power to save your souls. And that, that word souls there in the Greek, it means mind, will, and emotions. It's that tension between the flesh and the spirit. And he's saying, if you receive with humility or meekness, the message of Jesus. That's what that's what it means in the Greek, the logos. The way he the way James is using that word logos means the message personified in Jesus. If you receive that, it will save your souls. And that's the journey of salvation. We receive this gift at the beginning and it's full and it's complete and it's wonderful. But then we spend the rest of our lives unpacking that gift by yielding to it, by humbling ourselves, by leaning into the mystery and leaning into the tension and the fullness of what God speaks over us. Like that's where we discover what it really means to be the people of God. And if you look at the, the process of like sanctification, mm. you'll notice it sounds a lot like saints. And mm. I actually call it this kind of cheesy, but I call it sanctification. <laughs> because that's really that's really that's what good. it is, is this process of discovering what God already has spoken over you. He's already declared that you are the righteousness of mm. God in Christ Jesus. Now we, right. in this journey of salvation, get to discover what that actually means for me, mm -hmm. Addison Bevere, in my world, in my relationships, in my calling, what that means for me, what that requires me to do, what it requires me to believe, what it offers to me. Like That's where meaning is found. And I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, it's verses 1 and 2. He brings this out really well. He talks about the gospel, which you heard in which you stand and by which you are being saved. And we see right there, we see past, present, and future. And that's what it is. It's this salvation that continues to work in and through our lives. It, it doesn't mean that we get, quote, more saved. It just means we have more of an understanding of what it means to be saved. Absolutely, man. I, I, if I have any questions on scripture, I'm, I think I'm going to give you a call because you, <laughs> you got these all. You, you got them. You got them down pat, man. Um, but just just to, to wrap up, um, and I just want to know what, what are three things that you um, that you hope readers can can take away from this book? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, I would say the first one is I want people to realize that the good life it isn't something you find; it's someone you become. Ah. That's the first thing. I want to lay out a new mm. vision of what the good life is. And I want to show that it's actually synonymous with this idea of becoming a saint. And honestly, like, if we really think about it and we look at, at our lives and those moments where we felt more alive, <laughs> it's just, it aligns with this idea of being a saint. The second part um, is I, I think we need to be honest as followers of Jesus, need to be honest that we need a fresh look at faith for a world losing hope in religion. Like we need we need to be willing. Like Jesus did this so well, he was willing to go where people were and have conversations that they could understand. He didn't just stick to his jargon. He was he was willing to cross that divide. Paul did that brilliantly in Acts 17 when he's interacting with with um, the interacting with the, like the scholars and the great minds in Athens, and even quotes their poet. He he. He points to the the representation of, of the nameless God. He's like, look, you even recognize that there is a God that you've not been able to place a name to. He spoke their language. He shared the gospel in a way that made sense to them. And that's something that we, as followers of Jesus, we have got to get better at. And I would say the third thing, and this is another big one, is I want people to realize that there is no division. There is no barrier between the secular and the sacred. Mm. It is all sacred. It is all holy. We do not have to live 
these lives of duplicity or hypocrisy. Like what you do on Wednesday is just as valuable to God as what you do on Sunday. And if people get that, like if we all get that as followers of Jesus, our world will change. Fantastic. Um, wow, it's been an absolute joy having you uh, on the Guys Like Us podcast and, and just hearing uh, some great words of wisdom and insight and just really practical for um, for, for listeners for uh, just going out and, and, and accepting who we are and who we are to, who we are to become, what's, what is and what is to come. Um, Addison, thanks thank so much you, for joining me today. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for continuing to get these types of messages in the hands of people and, and love that you're doing this.